not leveraging it properly once you're on those stages, not viewing the audience in the way you could. Like that audience is the right people. It only takes one of those hundred to say, you need to hear so-and-so. And then maybe you get into a bigger stage where you impact more lives. And so I think people just maybe don't know how to fully capitalize on this stuff. Put together the assets you need to go out and tell people how amazing you are, why you should be on their stages, why you can make an impact to their audience. And don't make it about you because it's not about you. Lead your pitch with the impact that you can make on their audience. I don't care how much your story is personal. You have to shape it You've got to shape the story. So even when the story is yours, it's not about you. That was number one, and that changed the game. What got you here won't get you there. It's time to uncover the micro shifts required to take your income, influence, and impact to the next level. I'm Melanie Benson. And I'm Samantha Riley. And this is our weekly show for experts and business leaders who are influencing people's decisions to make a greater impact and shatter their revenue goals in the process. Welcome to the Next Level Influence Show. Now let's get started. Hey, Melanie. I'm super excited for today's show because today is another panel discussion and we're going to deep dive into talking how to use or talking about how do you speaking to build influence and then use that influence to grow your business. Mm, it's one of my favorite subjects. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. It's been said that in coaches and services markets, speaking is one of those tried and true strategies to attract clients. I know it's certainly been working for me in the last 25 years, but you know, I don't think I really understood how valuable the influence that emerges from this was going to be. And I think that's one of the exciting things we're going to dig into a little bit today because the influence has such an impact over all the things we say we want in our business. Yeah, I think that when people talk about speaking, they talk about creating an impact. They talk about educating. A lot of people talk about motivation. But I personally think, and we had this conversation before, Melanie, that influence is one of the most important pieces because influence is where we have the capacity as experts to have an effect on the people around us, the development, the behavior of people. And that is such a powerful thing. So we have got some amazing guests that are going to share some very wise words of wisdom. So let's welcome today's guests. Let's do a quick round of introductions. Jacqueline, I'd love to start with you. Amazing. Thanks so much, Sam and to Melanie for having us on this morning. So who am I? I am I'm an ex-CEO in civil construction and mining and manufacturing, once a general manager, once a consultant, but now I'm a communications coach and I work with communications and positioning and literally I am my client's secret weapon when it comes to how to position through the spoken word and elevating their spoken brand identity in a way that gets results because there's a lot of people out there speaking and they're speaking and they're creating almost like this vortex where nothing really happens. So my whole thing is breaking you out of that vortex to do something that gets you the results that you're looking for. So that's me in a nutshell. Love mm, it. I'm excited to mm. hear more. <laughs> Corey Poirier, how about you drop in next? Yeah. So, well, thanks for having me. And I'm actually, I just arrived in LA. Actually, Melanie, we were talking about me coming here like a day ago. So I'm so passionate about this that I took me 24 hours to get here. And I'm still here right now trying to bring as much energy as I can. So my background, I've been a professional speaker, paid speaker for 22 odd years. Really clients brought me in over those years to speak to their staff, their association members, what have you. And what I recognize is it took a lot longer to build a speaking business than I was ever led to believe it would. Even though I had a strong sales background, it was wasn't a build that they will come. And so because of that, after I built my business over the years, people kept asking me how I was doing it. So eventually I started teaching it through a speaking program. People started asking me how I'd landed so many TED Talks. So we started helping people with that. And most recently in the last three years, because so many people were asking me for this type of stuff, I recognized the best thing I could do to help other people in the speaking trade was to build a platform where we could actually get them on the stage. Not only that, we could get them the type of things they need to go next level. Like people always need a video. So let's get them on a prestigious stage, on a branded talk, 
delivery. And then they have that video they can use or um, get them in a book series so then they can become a best-selling author quicker. And so essentially, now we essentially create all the platforms. So they walk in day one and they just bring themselves. And in four or five months, it's not abnormal for them to speak on a prestigious big stage to be a co-author with a celebrity in a best-selling book, to be featured on a virtual event with the likes of Les Brown or Lisa Nichols, and so on and so forth. And we all know here, I think, what that can do for your business and career really quickly. So that's what I'm trying to do. Give those people those platforms to gain that exposure and credibility really quickly. Amazing. I so look forward to diving (laughs) deeper into that with you. Bree, Seely, I'd love you to introduce yourself. Yeah, so I am the entrepreneur coach. I firmly believe that entrepreneurship is the quickest and easiest way to freedom, whether that be financial freedom, time freedom, all of the freedoms. So I love uh, helping entrepreneurs build profitable businesses. Speaking is definitely an element of that. And if you're speaking on a stage and you don't have say, a follow-up or a way to convert people into clients after that, obviously that's a missed opportunity. So I love talking about speaking because it is a great opportunity to get in front of a large platform of people, whether it's speaking through podcasts, on stages, on summits, things like that, to help get more eyes on you to offer your impact and influence for people to become paying customers. Love it. Mm. This is going to be great, Melanie. I'm so excited for this. Yeah, totally. We might even learn a couple of things too. (laughs) I always learn lots of things on these panel discussions. So we're talking about influence. We're talking about impact. And I think one of the, the biggest things for me as I started leaning into speaking more was really to understand that speaking positioned me as the authority. And it's one thing to have influence, but it's a whole nother game to have that authority that comes with that. It means that we can charge higher fees. It means that we get paid more. It means we get more opportunities. So Bree, I would love you to share how speaking has helped you grow your influence and impact. And really also, I'd love you to dive into how did your or being booked for your TED Talk benefit your business? Well, so we'll start with the TED Talk first. The hard thing about where I'm at with my TED Talk process is it is not yet on the interwebs. (laughs) So. Ah. I have given the talk and the video has been edited and we are waiting for it to go on YouTube, which is a very frustrating place to be because I have no control over the expediency of that experience. So I am waiting for it to hit YouTube and the anticipated impact of that is huge. You know, I'm working with my team to I, my goal is to have over a million views on that video in under six months. And so if you think about the kind of impact that that can have on one's business, on one's credibility, you know, like having a million eyes on you in such a short period of time, like I don't know of many other ways to achieve such an impact in such a short amount of time. So, so still in process and very much coming and going to be very impactful. So how has speaking really affected my impact, my influence, my ability to grow my business? Really, honestly, it's it's that scale, it's that leverage. When you are filling your calendar with one-on-one conversations or one-on-one coffees or one-on-one meetings, it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy versus when you're able to stand on a stage and have that kind of impact to a large audience. And again, whether it's a physical stage, a virtual stage, a podcast stage, whatever that looks like, it really has allowed me to speak to a scaled number of people at one time. So that's really how I've used it. And then partnering up with other people's platforms to you know, impact their audiences, things like that. It really has significantly accelerated my journey. Mm, I think that 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 acceleration is what we're talking about because now instead of having conversations that are, you know, one-on-one and one of the quotes that really frustrates me, and I'm going to guess that you guys are all on board with this, is when people say, if only I could impact one person in my life, you know, my job is done. 
And I'm like, one person, you really want to only impact one person? I find it one of the most limiting beliefs, or I don't even realize that people, I don't even think people realize that how that limits them. So I love that you're talking about that, that exponential growth. So Corey, I'd love you to share how speaking has changed or, you know, used or you've used influence and impact in your business. And also I'd love you to sort of follow on a little bit. Why did you decide to build your own platform to help other people to influence and impact, you know, off the back of that? Yeah. So, I mean, both, both great questions. And I, I'm probably going to take a different approach to what speaking did for me than probably most people you're maybe ever going to ask this question to for a specific reason. Mine has been more like, I have this talk called creating the domino effect. And basically what I mean by that is it's like, if you want to interview a big name influencer or you want a big name influencer interviews, you have to start with one. Like you have to get that first one. It's the biggest domino. Once you knock it down, it knocks down the smaller one and the smaller one. And so what speaking did for me, because that was, that's been a big part. And, and Melanie and I know each other quite well. So she knows a big part of what I've done over the years. And maybe it's what allowed me to stand out as a speaker is I've been obsessed with interviewing people. So like Napoleon Hill. So I've interviewed over 7,000 people now. And the thing as a speaker, when you go in and they can say, what's different about this guy? Oh, he's learned from 7,000 of the world's top thought leaders, what they do differently. It's really what gets me booked almost always. But what happened, how that, like what had to happen for me to get in those doors a big part of it was me out speaking in the trenches, because again, to your point, I could reach one to many. And so when I reached one to many, there'd be some people in that audience of the many that would say, oh, you should talk to so-and-so, like talking to people after the event, or, oh, you should meet so-and-so. And they would end up being the connections to connect me with somebody else that would maybe knock down that first domino. But, but continuing why I brought this up, bigger than that, what I noticed, and this is the part about the TEDx when we mentioned it earlier, that opens so many doors is what I found, which was pretty intriguing to me, is early on when I was going out to do interviews, the big names, whenever we sat down would say, oh, by the way, I watched your TED talk. I loved it. And so what it told me is some of these big name influencers probably decided if they were going to take the interview based on seeing the TEDx talk on my mm -hmm. email signature, which I never said, check out my TEDx talk. So as an example, in real time, a guy named Ami James, who had the TV show Miami Inc. If you guys remember that it was the first mm -hmm. ever reality tattoo show. So Ami has 20 million people in a tattoo community. And he shared my book in that community because he wrote a quote in it. And none of that would have happened, I don't think, if he wouldn't have saw the TEDx talk. And that mm -hmm. wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have got on stage of speaking. So I feel like for me, it's been a domino effect where I've leveraged one to the next, to the next, to the next. And so I look at my career bigger than maybe just the speaking and all the people I've been able to reach. But what I've been able to perhaps build that makes my background different over the years as a speaker, but the speaker is the thing that always kept opening the doors. Mm -hmm. So I could go into a place and maybe speak at this large event. Let's say I remember one in particular is a weird thing to talk about, but it was like the Funeral Service Association of America. <laughs> and I did this talk in Boston and John C. Maxwell and a few other top thought leaders were also keynoting the event. And because I was keynoting, we were in kind of the red room together and three out of the four of them, I ended up doing interviews within three months and I wouldn't have met them if I wasn't out speaking. So I know I could talk about the one-to-many and stuff, but that's for me what's been kind of unique. And then to go full circle to answer your second question, why a separate brand? There's been a various reasons. One big one is when we first started, people said, I wish there was a done-for-you service as a speaker where you do everything and I just show up. But what they wanted, which is the part that's different, is they want to control that video when it was done. They want to be able to put it where they want. They want to be able to chop it up if they want. They want it to be able to goes back to the point about TEDx. They wanted to get it. As soon as we had it done, they mm -hmm. wanted it up and they want to be able to put it on their website. Like a lot of, they want more flexibility, let's say. And so they, but they wanted it all done as well. So they want to just show up and speak. The other thing is we had people saying, I want to do a spiritual TEDx. Mm -hmm. So you may not know that, but if somebody wants to talk about Reiki or energy healing or synchronicity, that doesn't fit on a TEDx stage. Mm -hmm. And so I had a whole group of people that were asking for that. But for me, the big one, I think, is I wanted these experts to be able to have access to all this marketing, the all these assets that they could use forever, but still be speaking on a live stage, still be reaching that same audience. I wanted all those things. And I wanted them to have control over all these assets that they could use afterward. I will say, talking about numbers, one of the newest things we just signed was a deal with a group called AMFM 247 Syndicated Radio. That one agreement, now it's the audio version of your talk, but that one agreement now has us reaching 2 million people per episode just that one agreement. And that's through drive time radio. 
Well, I wanted people to be able to have that stuff in a matter of months that took me 15 plus years to get. So it was really what people were asking for. I just usually listen and say, if everybody's asking for this, if I test it and see if they really do want it and they do, it's my obligation, as Zig Ziglar would say, to create it. Love so it. Oh, so much value there. There's so many, so many little value bombs that we can go back and, and could pull apart if we had hours, which we don't. So definitely go and have a think about what Corey just spoke about because there was so much in there. But Jacqueline, I'd love to know from you, how has speaking helped you to grow your influence and impact in your career? I'm actually going to go a little bit the opposite. So I actually started accidentally and I started the other end of the scale. So my first experience of speaking was acceleration. I never started one-to-one. So I was leading, and this is quite a while ago now, it's like 25 years ago, I was leading a family-owned recruitment business. I had to reimagine it. And we're in regional Queensland, which for those from the US is a very, very small place to be. And what happened was I wouldn't speak. So I'd taken the business over my mother. She'd been the face of it. I was an introvert. I refused to speak. To be able to do that because we were the face of the, of the region, we still got inbound speaking inquiries. So I got really good at training all of my consulting team to go out and speak for me. And my catch cry was the brand is not about one person. The brand experiences across our whole team. So I just literally shuffled these people out the door and taught them how to speak for about two years. And then I got caught in the crosshair. So one of the ways I used to get away with profile was I would do an executive committee of associations and that would get me on the executive committee. I wouldn't have to speak. I'd just do some work and away we'd go. And there was one time we were actually hosting an event for 300 people, keynote speakers flying from interstate. That speaker didn't turn up. And the chair of the committee, who looked like the professor out of Back to the Future, was racing towards me with his white hair flaring. And he's like, Jacqueline, Jacqueline, Nadine's missed her flight. And I was like, and? and he's like, well, you're the only woman on the committee. You're going to have to speak. And I was like, I don't speak. And he just laughed at me. Anyway, long story short, I spoke, I delivered, I just spoke from my own experience, turned it into a story. And don't forget, I've been training people for years how to speak and how to sell. And when I came off that stage, I had offers to speak again. And I was like the shy, quiet teenager that discovers crack cocaine. And I would speak anywhere for anyone on anything, anywhere. And then about six months in, I realized our business, which was happy and stable and very profitable, suddenly for the first time in five or six years had month on month growth. And then I realized if I had my consulting team in the room as well, that we didn't just have month on month on growth, we, we spiked. And so I got really serious about it. And so I used speaking to take our business from being between 3.6 and 4.2 million a year for four or five years at the turn of the century. Doesn't that sound weird? <laughs> right. To, to going from 4.2 to 22.4 million in 15 months. And it was only because I was speaking. Also through the profile I built when we exited that business, I exited by selling to a stock exchange listed company, which I would not have been able to do without that speaking profile. So I kind of started at the other end. So that was accidental. The next one was intentional. So I launched my next business, which was an industrial relations consulting business through speaking. And so it was a very intentional. Then I was a bit random. I became a whole heap of different influencers. And so you talk about the influence, Sam, it's purely influence that it delivers. If you actually understand, it's not about educating. It's not about giving what you've got for the world. It's actually about creating this incredible position of influence. And that's how I actually created some really big, bold moves in my career. So it was kind of random. Then it became repeated. I realized I had a formula and then it became transmissible. I started teaching others. So I had, didn't really use it to go from one-on-one to big. I was already there. And I realized it was something that I could recreate in other people because to Corey's thing about you know influence and the domino effect and things like that, once you gift someone the power of speaking and being able to draw out their lived experience in a way that people want to lead into that they want to inhale, once you get someone to that point, their world opens up. Like there's possibility that they didn't even know exists suddenly lands on a doorstep. And usually it's not things you can ever perceive, right? So if we think about speaking as this linear effect that we're going to take what we know, we're going to create this presentation, we're going to do it from a stage and we can go one to many, we get a linear impact. But when we could just go, you know what, I'm going to give the best of what I've got and I'm going to shape it to actually solve a problem for a group of people and show up in service, we have no idea what's going to happen. And it's not linear. Corey will attest to that. It is not linear. It is circular. It is step change. It is. And that's what I love about it. And so my greatest gift with speaking is the fact that I can actually teach others to live to that level. Love it. Oh, my goodness. Three amazing amazing viewpoints. 
Yeah, I love it. I can hardly wait to to hear what you uh, say to the second question because you just shared so many amazing nuggets. And you know, as Sam and I are thinking about like, what do we want to learn from you? Like, what do we want to tap into? Because you each are bringing such extraordinary skills and you know, years of wisdom, especially around speaking. You know, it made me think about how speakers, as they grow and evolve in their business, and they they learn and they they try new things and they you know hone in and optimize. There's usually one key thing, one like game changer or something that really pivots things for you, that when you put that in place, you start to really notice an even better result from your speaking. And so I'm super curious what that might be for each of you. And I I might even like share one of mine as we go through this, but Corey, how about we start with you on this one? Yeah, there's something that pops out as the, like I could give you, you know, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes we go, okay, I could go down this path or that path or this rabbit hole, but I have to go with what the instinct said to me. So it's the shortest answer, but it's the instinct answer is when I first started as a speaker, I can talk. My mother was a talker. I got the gift from her. I think it didn't mean I was comfortable on the stage. I was that guy covered in sweat, terrified. Like I was never meant to be on a stage. I thought, so I don't want to give that impression. But when I first started, how I got in is I actually, I used to be in sales and I sold a college on why I should teach a sales course. And I jokingly said, I sold them because it took a year to convince them. And I thought it was appropriate. I have to sell them on teaching a sales course because no, like colleges weren't doing that then. This is going back quite a ways. And so I got the gig and it actually helped me launch my speaking career in some ways because people would reach out to them and say, we want to send our staff in to see this guy speak. It's not speak, training. We want to see the send this guy in for training. And uh, I, they were charging the college $300 per person. They said, we want to send like 50 people in, but we can't break the time away. And they said, oh, well, why don't you just hire them and bring them in? And they said, you don't care. And the college said, we don't care. And so my quick math was like, oh, they're willing to pay 15000 to send their team. I'm brand new. I mean, if I'm charging two, <laughs> they're happy. And so that's kind of how I broke into it. But what I didn't realize is I wasn't ready for it yet. And when I say that, what I mean is I was doing talks with the bullet points, so many bullet points on the screen that you could barely see me mm-hmm. and, and people couldn't keep up with taking notes. And so my approval rating was probably around 60%. I used to test this with evaluation forms. It was around 60%, which was actually probably pretty good. And I think that's just because I was so passionate and people could say I cared so much. And so I got some points based on that. But 60 some percent to me was pretty low. And I'm like, how can I improve this? And so what I did was I started studying the top speakers. As uh, Dr. John Martini would say, I studied at the feet of giants. And so I kept studying all the giants. And I had to figure out, I said, you know, something's wrong with this PowerPoint picture. And so I wanted PowerPoint because I thought it, it can be powerful, but it also is a crutch right now for me. So ultimately what I did was I started studying speakers and I'll tell you who the difference maker was, is I watched a video of Steve Jobs at one of the Apple launches or what have you. And I said, holy frig, all that guy has on his slides is pictures of stuff. Wait a minute, why can't I do that? Why do I have to have all these words on the slide? And I started getting into that idea of if I'm just going to have the words in the slide, can't I just email this to them? They don't have to have me show up. And I said, I don't want to be that way. I want them to want me there. And then the slides is just the crutch, you know, it's just the extra supplement to what I'm doing. And But I watched what Steve Jobs is doing and I said, that's it. And being a storyteller, I said, this gives me everything I want because now I can put a picture up of me performing stand-up comedy. And now I know that'll be a five-minute story, but stand-up. So keep me on track. It tells me what story. But just as important for the audience, it's a reason for them too, is they remember the story based on seeing that picture of me performing stand-up. And so it changed everything. So to put it in perspective, by the time I put that into place, I was maybe at 70-some percent approval with all those bullet points. And uh, it went to about 95% in about two weeks. And it was strong at 60 to 70 for like a year. And it was like instant. And when I say that, I mean, nine and a half out of 10 were saying, love this presentation, love this, love this image, what have you. And that was the only thing that changed. So I'd honestly be remiss to say anything else was a game changer for me because it changed everything. But I'll tell you, bigger than maybe even just what it did on the surface, it changed me. I became more comfortable because now I knew I had something on the slide that would back up the story. But I also knew now I just had to worry about the story and not remember what was on the slides and turning around and reading all those words. But the funny part is nobody ever told me that. And what's really funny to me is that was 20 some years ago. And I still go and and share the bill with 10 other speakers and watch four of them covered in bullet points. So nobody still told them. And I try to take them aside, but you also want to be cautious because they don't want them to think, oh, you're just saying that to make my talk worse or whatever. But that's that was a changer for me. And and I wish 
every speaker would maybe subscribe to that or at least check it out and see if it might fit for them. Love it. Death by PowerPoint was learned and improved. (laughs) Thank you, Corey. It's such a great example. Jacqueline, what would you say is one thing that when you got it in place, the benefit from speaking totally improved for you? Yeah, before I go there, I'll just actually reiterate what Corey just said. I actually, when I'm working with people who are taking it seriously for the first time, their first keynote, they have to deliver without even pictures on their PowerPoints. If they can't deliver and engage without the crutch, then we need to keep going. So I'm so with you on that, Corey. Um, and then they don't want the bullet points, which is the beauty in it. So the one thing that actually that really changed the game for me, and I'll talk about what it was and then what I did as a result, was actually realizing I was working with a mentor and realizing that whenever I get up and speak, it is just an invitation to enter my world, right? It's not everything. It's not me showing how clever I am. It's not me showing everything I know to be true about the world. It's not me trying to cram everything in. It's simply an invitation to bring people deeper into my world. And when I realized that, that it wasn't everything, it wasn't all of me, but the best of me and whatever was going to create invitational pull to get people into my world. So influence that just unleashed this sense of freedom. Now in that freedom, what I discovered was all about stories. And there's a few things with stories that I really understood straight away. So I'd always believed in speaking to share instead of time to sell. That's always been my mantra. But the next thing that unveiled for me was that even when your story is about you, it's not about you. And this is one of the biggest challenges I've got to get people through, especially those with big lived experience stories. I don't care how much your story is personal. You have to shape it to land in the hearts and minds of the audience so that they actually come and say, when you spoke about this, it reminded me of that. When you went there, I thought, oh my goodness, there's hope for me. When you spoke about your grandfather, I wish I had one like that. And when you spoke about your mother, I realized how much I missed mine. You've got to shape the story. So even when the story is yours, it's not about you. That was number one, and that changed the game. That really took me from doing really well to landing it every time. And that was one of the biggest friends I had. And in that, part of the process is you have to kill your favorite children. Now, I know that's not an appropriate expression on YouTube, but sometimes you actually have to kill your favorite children. So people get really attached to their stories, whether it's their story, personal stories, stories about Steve Jobs. They get really attached to their stories, but those stories aren't actually in service to the audience. And what I say to people is think about Uncle Bill who gets drunk every Christmas, tells the same story, and everyone avoids him in the family. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be drunk Bill at Christmas time, right? And so sometimes you have to get rid of those stories that we're really attached to because they don't actually serve your audience or the problem you want to solve from a psychographic perspective. And then the other thing is when you're shaping the story, steal from Pixar, right? And when we were younger, so it's Pixar now, when we were younger, it was fairy tales and books. Those stories weaved a story that you fell into and they never told you the moral lesson. You just took the moral lesson away right? And that's what I say to people, don't scream at me so loud that I have to put my hands over my ears. Bring me into your heart through story and let me understand what the lesson or the meaning or the message is, right? Stop screaming and stop directing at me. Bring me in and tell story. And I say to people all the time, it worked for children's fairy tales for generations and it now works for Pixar. It does work for us as well. So that, but it it all started with that moment of realizing that it's just an invitation to know more. Mm. As you're speaking, I was thinking of the speaker that I saw early on in my corporate days that changed my entire, like it planted a seed for me and changed my trajectory. And he told the most powerful stories with humor. And to this day, 35 years later, I still remember that talk and how it made me feel. And that's what I'm connecting to as you're sharing that, because I think some of my greatest breakthroughs around speaking have been recognizing how important it is to be relevant in the right audiences for for me. And so such a great way to bring that to us, Jacqueline. Thank you. Bree, same question to you. Yeah. So kind of piggybacking off of what Jacqueline said, figuring out the journey that the person sitting in the seat is on really, really, really helped me because When I first started speaking, I was speaking kind of just to inspire or to be on stage and share. And it wasn't until I really switched into fully understanding who was in that seat, hearing my words and what they needed 
in order to take the next step is really what shifted it for me. And I honestly, I say this from pretty much every stage I'm on, every podcast I do, everything is, you know, sitting here listening to me speak right now is not going to change your life. But having the ability to know what your next step is after this and to take it, that's what's going to make an impact. That's what's going to change your life. And so really, truly understanding who am I speaking to? And it might be different in different rooms. What journey are they on? Where are they at in their journey? And how is what I'm saying today on this stage going to help them continue down that path and continue taking those steps towards whatever that thing is that they want? And honestly, to me, like that's the biggest impact that I could ever make. Now, whether they decide and, and uh, you know, I know we'll, we'll, this will tie into my next answer as well, but whether they decide to take that next step with me or someone else, my job is done if I have impacted them enough to give them the courage to say yes to whatever that next step is for themselves. Mm, I love that. Mm. It's almost like we can activate them with inspiration and, and connection, but really ultimately change happens with what happens after they hear us speak. And that's mm. what I think of hearing you say, Bri. And I think each of you have woven that in in some way. Mm. So I'm actually really curious to hear where we go next. Sam, I'll turn it over to you. Sure. So we would love to know the biggest mistake that you see other people making when they're either getting started on their speaking journey or taking their speaking journey to the next level. And Corey, I'd love to start with you. So, I mean, I can kind of, you know, there's, I was thinking about this and there's like a few different areas because of the fact that honestly, this is the one of the questions that this is the one that I could probably stick on for hours because <laughs> I see so many, sometimes small mistakes, so many big mistakes. And, you know, we covered some of it in the sense that people not knowing their audience or thinking that they're their audience, meaning that this is a therapy session and it's for here, I'm here for me. And so there's so many of those when I, when you talk about the foundations of speaking and the fundamentals, but the direction I want to take, because it's really where I spend a lot of my time is what people I find the mistake they make after they've delivered talks. So for me, what it is, is they don't know how to leverage this stuff. You know, so for instance, one of the things I learned early on is how I started building the other sides of my business. So the, the programs and stuff like that was listening to people that kept coming to me saying, how are you getting paid to speak so often? And how are you getting so many gigs? And so what I recognized is I was by accident leveraging those gigs really well. What I was doing is I was putting pictures up on the way to the event, at the event, after the event, and saying, oh, so blessed to get paid to do what I love. And they've seen so many pictures of me doing that, that they're like, Jesus, guys. And it was true, by the way. At that point, I was speaking getting, I was speaking on the road 200 and some days a year on certain years. So I was getting what I was showing, but they were seeing 600 pictures because I was doing three for each event. And so what I'm getting at is I was leveraging those talks I was at by using those pictures. And so a mistake I see people make is just going and doing a talk and then moving on. You know, so, and for whatever, some people are doing it to get paid to do this. Some people are doing it to get a message out. Well, imagine if your goal is to get a message out about an important cause, but nobody ever even knows you spoke there. But I find a lot of people do that. It's much the same when speakers or experts in general go on a show and then say, well, they didn't bring me a whole bunch of clients. Well, my question back to them is, well, what did you do with that episode, with that link, whatever it is. Like if you're on Good Morning America and your ideal audience didn't watch it, I'm pretty sure if you know how to use it, you're going to leverage for the rest of your life the fact that you're good on Good Morning America on your website. Even if they never give you a video, if you have a screenshot of you and somebody goes to your website and says, as seen on Good Morning America, and they see a picture of you, or imagine being on Super Soul Sunday, but your right audience didn't tune in because something major happened in the world, but it's what you do with it afterwards. How are you leveraging that for the rest of your life? And that never goes away. Like the TEDx thing, once your TEDx airs, Brie, you'll see it never goes away. You being a TEDx speaker on your bio, one of the things I saw is I used to have, I'd have like a best-selling author first and the clients would on their own move TEDx to the beginning, to the bio. They wanted it to be the first thing that was said. But what I'm getting at is that thing never goes away, but are you leveraging it right? Or mm -hmm. do you just go through this? And I know people we've worked with that have gone and done their TEDx talk and never told a soul about it after. I'm like, are you kidding me? Mm. But I think that's a mistake speakers make is they don't know what to do with this, whether it's content, whether it's the talk they did, whatever afterward. And then I think the other side to that is not like viewing people as almost, I hate to say it this way, but numbers in the sense that, oh, well, there weren't 5,000 people at this event. So it wasn't worthwhile. 
the comparison I have, because I think it's related to speaking and communicating as well, is being on a podcast. I've seen so many people start a podcast, have all these great dreams. And, you know, in fact, Melanie and I met at a podcast summit and we probably there were probably people in the room that did this. But the average podcast lasts nine weeks. Now, Melanie and I are in a different circumstance because we were in that group as people on the stage with our podcast and both have been doing it for years. But most people walk away. And when you ask them why they left, they'll say, well, at the end of it, I only had like 100 listeners. And my question to that person is, if your ideal audience was down the road at a building and it was 100 of them sitting there waiting for you, would you walk down the road to speak to them? Oh, every day of the week. Then why did you just abandon them on a podcast because it was only 100? Mm. And I would say the podcast audience, it's even more intimate. You're in their ear and I could go on and on. But my point is that's a part of that mistake. So not leveraging it properly once you're on those stages. And then I would say the second part to that is not viewing the audience in the way you could. Like that audience is the right people. It only takes one of those hundred to say, you need to hear so-and-so. And then maybe you get into a bigger stage where you impact more lives. And so I think people just maybe don't know how to fully capitalize on this stuff. Mm, so you've heard it here. Don't miss out on all of those opportunities. Don't waste the opportunities. Love that, Corey. Bree, I'd love to know the biggest mistake that you see people making. So I just want to piggyback quickly on Corey's and say, everyone will know when my podcast goes live. So <laughs> I am grateful to have learned that lesson early. <laughs> so I think one of the biggest things I see and, and, you know, people come up to me all the time and they're like, you know, how did you get on the Today Show? How did you start writing for the Huffington Post? How did you get on Good Morning America? How did you get a TED Talk? How did like all these people called you? And my answer every time is like, no one. Okay. The Today Show called me, but no one called me. Right. So the biggest mistake I see people making is they're sitting around in their home office, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for people to knock on their door to come speak at their event. Mm. They're assuming that the opportunities are going to come to them when in actuality, you have to especially at the beginning, unless you are a household name, you have to go find the opportunities. You have to develop up your speaker one sheet and pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch yourself. You have to go out and make relationships with event planners and people who are hosting the stages that you want to be on. You have to go out and ask to be on people's podcasts, right? No one is calling you Unless the only reason the Today Show called me is because one of my articles on the Huffington Post went viral. It got published into four different languages and was read on every continent in the country. And the Today Show called me. That was catching lightning in a bottle. And you never want to hinge your business success on catching lightning in a bottle because it doesn't happen very often. Mm. So put together the assets you need to go out and tell people how amazing you are, why you should be on their stages, why you can make an impact to their audience. And pitch tip, don't make it about you because it's not about you. Lead your pitch with the impact that you can make on their audience. Anyone that pitches me and they start with their bio, it is an immediate no. I have trained my assistant that anyone who pitches me to be on their podcast that starts with their bio, it is a hard pass. Mm. So make it about the value that you can bring their audience, put together the correct assets and get out there and pitch yourself. I love that so much, Brie. No one's going to come and tap you on the shoulder. You have to give yourself permission and do the work. Love it so much. Jacqueline. I'd love to hear from you because I'm sure you're going to add to the the absolute value that Bree and Corey have just shared. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm going to join with Bree and Corey. Corey, I could talk to you for weeks just on the mistakes that people make <laughs> um, with regards to how you positioned all of that. I'm really passionate. Sam and I have had some very big conversations about that over the years. There's two things that are really closely linked from my perspective, and this is an and to what Corey and Brie have already said. So it's not instead, it's definitely an and. There's so many layers to the mistakes. But one of the first things that I see, especially because I work a lot with emerging speakers and early stage speakers, is that they forget to stand on the shoulders of where they have the right to speak. And what I mean by that is somebody might have a transformational 
events on a high impact event that creates a recovery story that everybody's congratulating them and slapping on the back and they decide that they're going to just ditch their previous life and they're going to go out and change the world with the message in theirs. And there's a few things with that. One, you risk therapy from the stage, which you should never do. The second one is if it's not deep work that you've become an expert in and recovery is not deep work, recovery does not give you expert rights, right? Recovery can get you stages for resilience, but it doesn't give you the right to speak to things for the rest of your life. So you need to actually think about if you determine to make this change, I'm working with a couple of corporate C-suite women at the moment who want to really bring in body leadership and feminine spirituality and that sort of stuff. But what we're doing is refusing that. So so many people go, I've had this high impact event. I've had this transformational experience. I'm going to change the world by sharing all that with everybody else. And there's not the depth of experience. And they're a little bit evangelical and they don't, and it's actually about them. It's like, I want to tell you, I want to share with you. You need to do what I've done. And so that evangelical part is something that I really, really, I'd really work with people to temper because you've got to have strength, power, and grace. You can't have that when you're screaming from the rooftops that your way is the is the way. And how we do that is we remind people where they come from. We remind them to stand on the shoulders of what's already come so we confuse them at the very least. Or sometimes people realize that where they're going to make a difference and create influence is in what they've already known to be true. So that's the number one thing is people think that they can actually take a one-off experience and create a lifetime career out of it. And some people do, but they're also the outliers. They're the lightning in a bottle, right? That is not for the majority of people getting out on a stage. That's number one. But then what happens as well, when people realize that they have an opportunity to speak, they have something, a unique perspective or things like that, is they think that it's literally speak and they will come, right? Which is why I think you see, to Corey and Bruce's point, why people don't do the outbound hustle, right? And it's not hustle because it's actually a process. It's not rocket science. None of this is rocket science, right? But they don't invest. It's like, oh, I've got this great idea. I put this keynote together in my own mind, in my own laundry, with my own people, no external input in a vortex. And it's freaking amazing, but I haven't delivered it. When I have delivered it, I haven't been paid, but let's like just overlook that. And so there's two ways that you've got to invest. There's an irrefutable truth. So there's irrefutable truths. Bree talked about the speaker one sheet. Corey talked about stages. You've got to get on stages. You've got to get in the arena. You've got to have testimonials. You've got to create your one sheet. You've got to create your brochures. You've got to create your collateral. You've got to have a pitch process. You've got to have a way to book you. There's irrefutable truth. And you've got an initial speaker reel, an interim speaker reel, then your final speaker reel. And you cannot create a great position of influence, whether you want to get paid for your speaking or generate paid work out of your speaking, you cannot create a position of influence without investing in the collateral that gets you there, right? And, you know, there's a there's a rule of thumb. If you want to pay $10,000 and your speaker rule should cost you $10,000, right? So, and that's, I don't agree with that in its entirety, but it's a really good sort of bumper rail, if you like. Then the second part is invest in the craft. People don't become amazing speakers accidentally. Right. And in actual point of fact, I have some people say to me, Oh, but it's okay. I can speak off the cuff and I really, I'm really good at it and I nail it. I'm like, Yeah, but so you can do that off the cuff. You could change the freaking world if you're invested in the craft, right? It's a craft, it's an art, it's a science, and you have to invest in it. So if people come to me and they're like, I want to be a speaker, um, number one, Sam, I'm with you. If they say, If I can make a difference to one person, I'm like, That's a cop out, right? That lets you off the hook. Because if all you're worried about is changing one person or impacting one person, that lets you off the hook because as soon as you've done that, you've achieved your goals, right? So you either want to speak to change the world or speak to make a difference or speak to create influence or you don't. Simple. There's no halfway on this. You must invest. And the reason that I encourage people to invest is I was gifted years ago what I call the tipping point and our work is all involved in getting people over the tipping point. But at the top of that tipping point, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, at the top of that triangle is the trifecta. And every time you speak, you should be rebooked. You should be booked by someone in the audience and you should pick up a significant opportunity. Three, every time you speak. Now, Corey, I know that you would have nailed that every single time. I don't speak very often at all anymore because I actually, here's my secret thing, I'm still an introvert. So I speak when I have to. So people go, oh, I can get her to train me. But every time I speak on a main stage, I get the trifecta, right? They don't get the trifecta because I was that kid that discovered speaking in her late 20s as a manager, I get the trifecta because every day and every year ever since for uh, I was 29, so 22 or 23 years since then, I've invested in my craft, right? So you have to invest. People think literally speak and they will come, right? Corey spoke about interviewing 7,000 people. He learned 
from every single interview. Marie talked about when she thinks about what people actually really want in front of her and she studies that and observes that and teaches others, you've got to invest. People seem to think if I've got a great idea and I can get myself a stage, any stage, that I speak and they will come and it's wrong. It's like everything. If you want to be world-class, invest to a world-class level. Mm, Love this so much. So, so much value. Melanie, this has been fabulous. I know. I would love to know before we do a quick wrap-up what your tip is here because this Mm. is also a very big, you know, one of your zones of genius yourself. Yeah, it's hard to pick one. Uh, (laughs) You know, what what kept coming up for me as I was listening to all this brilliant wisdom and sage advice was, I guess it was probably the biggest mistake I made along the way was losing track of my authentic energy and voice. And I studied with all the masters and I learned all of these great tools, but somewhere along the way, like I stopped being me on stage and my results followed. Like my results were not there for a while. And it was when I looked at like, where did I stop being the authentic me? Where did I lose my personal power on stage? It was trying to emulate a formula. And I'm not saying we don't need to learn. We do need to learn skill. And as um, Jacqueline was saying, this is a craft and we want to master the craft, but we can't not be us, like the unique version of us in the process. So Mm. finding that integration of all the parts was where my personal power on stage came back. So that, that was what one of my big ones. Powerful. Yeah. Was there one you wanted to share, Sam, before we wrap up? Um, I think I'm going to go with a really different route to what everyone's talked about because there's always so many pieces to the puzzle. And I think that is one of the biggest mistakes is people not really understanding what makes them unique. So it kind of piggybacks off what you're talking about, Melanie. Yeah. But if we don't understand that there is other hundreds and thousands of people talking about our topic, then we've really got our head in the sand because there are. So what is it that makes you unique? And I think that building out frameworks that make people understand what you're talking about and make what the way that you talk about it attributed to you and to make what you're talking about memorable is one I feel is one of the biggest mistakes that people make. So just a super simple one there, but really start to unpack your IP and understand what makes you very unique. I would agree 100%. Well, we're going to do a quick quick round of wrap up, think uh, one to two sentences here. We want to know how our listeners can find you. And if you've got a resource that you can share what that is and the URL or best website to get that. Bree, how about we start with you? Yeah, I actually want to add just one quick thing that I forgot to add before. When I applied for my TED Talk, I actually got declined five times before I got accepted. And so the other mistake I see people making is quitting too early. And I meant to add this on earlier, but I just want to encourage you, if you hear a no or two no's or 10 no's or 20 no's, there's a yes coming. So I just really want to encourage everyone to keep going and keep applying and keep putting yourself out there. Because if you believe that this is for you, you will find someone to say yes. And all it takes is one. So just wanted to, to put that out there. My website is breeseelite.com. I do have some great free trainings coming up in the month of February called Activate Your Most Profitable Year Yet, How to Support Yourself in Creating More Wealth in Your Business. You can register by visiting breeseelite.com slash plan. My name is B-R-I-S-E-E-L-E-Y.com slash plan. Mm, Thank you. I know that's going to be fabulous. You're listening and you'll definitely want to go sign up for those. Jacqueline, what's the best way people can connect with you? Well, it's interesting. We've been talking about influence. We do have available at our website, which is anygiventuesday.com.au. We have a quiz you can take to discover your language of influence. So it's something that we work with our clients on and you do get a full, I think it's about a 20 or 24 page report, which not only takes you into your language of influence, but also how you can build the muscle of influence in your own home at your own pace. Mm, Love that. And we will be outlining each of these gifts on the show notes. So if you're scrambling for a pen or you didn't get that, just look at the show notes and you can click right through. How about you, Corey? 
So similar to Bree, I wanted to add one super duper quick thing, but it's actually adding on to something Bree said. And, and it just popped into my head when we were talking about, you know, she mentioned nobody or at least few will reach out to you and say, hey, do you want to be on our TEDx stage? Do you want to be on this? And, and I will say, once you put in the work, if that is going to happen, it's going to happen. Like you said, not when you're starting out, it's going to be way down the road. And what we're trying to create with this Blue Talks thing is so you get a lot of that from us. And then we like, and you're tapping into our network. So to the point about not being new is somebody comes to me and says, hey, do you want to share the bill with Jack Canfield? My question back to them always is how many spots do you got? Because <laughs> I have a whole crew of people that would love to do that. But what made me think of is about the nobody's going to ask and you still have to do the work. Is it recently recently subjective, but about a year ago, I interviewed Mark Victor Hansen. And I'm sure most of you know, who Mark is Chicken Soup for the Soul co-curator. And Mark and Crystal were just launching their book, Ask. It may have been two years ago, because it was during the pandemic starting. And one of the things Mark did on every interview I did with him in the course of that year, is he said, Corey, and this is on the air still, who else do you know that we'd be a good fit for their show? Can you connect us? So you got a guy who sold more books. I think Mark and Jack are in history have sold more books in the style of books they've sold that anybody else in the world have been on probably 7,000 shows. And he's still asking, hey, who else show could, should I be on? So to Bree's point, this is a guy that's still doing it. If he still needs to do it, and by the way, I don't think he needs to, but if he still feels he should do it, then we need to do it. And so I just want to put that out there is that just to, because sometimes people think, oh, I don't need to do it anymore. Well, here's a guy who truly probably doesn't, and he's still doing it because he understands the value of it. And by the way, I put him on uh, probably 25 shows and he only asked for three. And, but one of those shows, 3 million listeners, another one's a good friend of ours was uh, Kimmy Seltzer when she had her Amazon live show, you know, so those are two shows I put him on. And, you know, if he wouldn't ask, that wouldn't happen. So I just wanted to put that out there. As far as uh, resource, I have, uh, I think the easiest thing is I have this book that's called Get Paid to Speak. So since we've been talking about this today, about the speaking side of things, so I'd like to give people a free copy of the digital version of the book. It's pretty easy. You just go to the book of public so the book of publicspeaking.com. And basically you'll get your free book sent to you shortly thereafter. Perfect. Ah. Thank you so much. So good. Everyone, definitely. It's been a fabulous episode. Thank you, Jacqueline Nagel, Corey Poirier and Bree Seely for joining us today. And we'd love to hear from you. How are you going to leverage speaking to grow your influence? I'm sure you've got a ton of value and ideas from today's episode. Melanie, Great to hang out with you here again. And as always, my friend, we look forward to seeing you all next week's episode of Next Level Influence. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Next Level Influence. Before you go, would you subscribe, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player? We'd love to know what your greatest takeaway was from today's episode. Take a screenshot of the show and share with us on social and be sure to tag us too so we can connect. Tune in next week for another Next Level Influence episode.